0: How do you want your donors to feel about your organization? Do you want them to be loyal and you know, feel like they're a part of something? That An affinity program is a way that that can be possible.
1: Welcome to our Found Connected Philanthropy podcast. We are privileged to have Jenny Craig, president of Affinity Makers, as our guest. And today we will be talking about affinity programs. Jenny is passionate about helping nonprofit organizations reach their potentials. She offers workshops, trainings, and one-on-one coaching for nonprofits who are looking to turn their donors into raving fans. I met Jenny recently at an AFP event in Florida, and after I learned about what she specializes in, I invited her to be a guest on our podcast to share with you our community. Thank you so much for joining us
0: today, Jenny. Uh, Thank you, Tammy. I'm happy to be here. It's really exciting. And I am
1: excited to be learning more about what affinity programs are. And how they can help nonprofit organizations engage with their donors. But before we dive into that topic, let's back up a little bit. And can you tell me a little more about yourself and how did you get to where you are today?
0: Yes, that is. It's been it's been a wild ride, actually. I am closing out sixteen years in higher education. I've been everything from sponsorships to athletics marketing to The last four years I've spent in development, I've been in higher ed since I graduated college in 2007, (laughs) and I am one day shy of 16 years that is my exit, so July 6th will be my last day, and then I am full-fledged doing Affinity Maker fundraising, and I am so excited to get that going. I've got three little girls. Me and my husband have three little girls, Carmen, Mason, and Brooklyn, and we also have a distillery. And that usually, yeah, that usually gets some attention. We are a, uh, we make award-winning handcrafted rum and vodka. We are based in Daytona Beach, Florida, and it's me and my husband, and we partnered with his parents, and we are just having a ball, making spirits, living beachside. We're just, I don't know, living life. It's really fun.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I wish everybody could see your smile. I could tell that you're just having fun, and, and what a... An interesting place to be at at transitioning into your own company and um, getting off on your own uh, consulting organization. This is fun, and I'm glad we have the opportunity to talk to you today about that and why you've chosen affinity programs to, to have a focus in. So what is an affinity program and how does it impact fundraising for nonprofits?
0: Yes. So about four years, I took on, I came across a job description that basically said, you know, we we need an affinity program and we don't know how to do it. Here's the general direction. We need need somebody to take it and run with it. And I'm thinking, what the heck is an affinity program? And then I dug in a little bit and it's basically a membership-based group of donors. They're all buying in to support the same niche area within an organization. So instead of you know, we are we are general donors of this one organization. We're identifying different niches within, um, and then building raving fans, raving donors around those area niches. And so it's um, it's highly engaging. It is a great way to get some moves management going in. If you've got some donors that are sitting at that annual giving level and you want to look for opportunities to move them up, and you know, create ways for them to become en- engaged and more involved as ambassadors of the organization than affinity programs are where it's at.
1: How do you see these programs being used strategically
0: in a development program strategy? Strategically, when when affinity programs are used strategically, they do three things. First of all, they create more of an affinity between donors and the organizations. They create more loyal donors. Um, secondly, they, they become a reliable source of revenue for the organization. So if you know, you've got 10 donors that are committing thousand dollars and you're going to get them, you know, to commit to a multi-year commitment, say it's for the next three years, they're each going to give thousand dollars each. Then, you know, you've got $10,000 coming in over the next three years and you can rely on that. You can budget for that. It just creates a reliable source of revenue when you have programs like this. And then finally, they become a pipeline for major gift donors. Um, They're they're cultivated well. It's almost like a training ground. You're, You're giving a major gift donor experience by making something more intimate and you're scaling it across members of this program, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And being part of a group and doing something together.
0: Yes. And not only are they getting to know each other, but they're getting a closer inside look at the organization. So instead of just writing a random check, you know, and sending it and hoping it gets put to good use affinity programs, really, you know, like I said, there's a standard, everybody pays the same. Ideally I avoid tiers at all cost, like tiered levels, but if everybody pays the same, um, and they understand what their money is going to, and they can, through you know, a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting every year, get to see the impact of their giving. I mean, raving fans right there. You know, so many donors give, and they never know that those are the top through uh, top two reasons that they don't keep giving: is one, either they weren't thanked properly, or two, they have no idea what their money was even used for. And so, creating affinity programs, you can create one message, you know, thank you so much, members, here's, you know, here's how the money was spent. And now that went out to 20 people or 10 people or however many are in the group. And that just, you know, magnifies the impact as nonprofits, especially small nonprofits, our bandwidth is limited. But if we can scale major gift communications with these mid-level donors, then it's just a great ground for creating new major gift prospects.
1: I love that. I love that because that is like a, it's, it's something that you're taking that's kind of like a, sh- a shortcut, a, a one-to-many communication, but the the way that you've structured it actually makes them feel more cared for because they're part of this special group of our membership like that.
0: So Exactly. And the feel is different. So if you're saying, thank you, all donors, this year we were able to fund this many scholarships or this much whatever... But we don't have the time individually one-on-one to say, here's where your money went. Here's where your money went. So if you're doing it within a small group, it feels more intimate. It feels like they're getting more attention and suddenly they feel more valued and they feel like they're adding you know, special value to the organization. And that's just going to create more, more giving on their part.
1: Oh my gosh, my brain's just going. I'm I you know, volunteer at, at some nonprofits and I'm like, okay, now I'm thinking <laughs> we need to have one. This is great. So, uh is a giving circle an example of of one of these or can you explain how that approach compares or is part of an affinity program?
0: Yes. So, I would say a giving circle is definitely an example of an affinity program. And if we're if we're talking, you know, titles, giving societies, giving circles, philanthropy councils, there's all different kinds of names for them. But a lot of times, especially historically, giving circles were, you know, I wrote a check for a hundred dollars, I'm part of this giving circle, and then maybe once a year I get some kind of random communication in the mail that says how the money was spent. I don't know. That is not this. <laughs> so the affinity programs that I love to work on, they have three, they they all have three three things. So the first is a, ideally it's a 12 month touch point calendar. So whether it's a birthday phone call or uh, the newsletter that was going out to everybody anyway, each month they're seeing something, maybe, you know, anytime that you can automate something like the holiday card, everybody, all the donors are going to get that, but maybe the members of this get a little special thank you inside, you know, thank you so much for being a member. We rely on you. Um, But in addition to that, there's a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting, there's something else that they're getting to be a part of that a traditional set it and forget it giving circle doesn't does that's not, that's not creating more engagement. You know, that's just, a lot of times people sign up for stuff. Yeah, sure. I'll do this. I'll do a hundred dollars a year or a hundred dollars a month. And, and then that's kind of it. It goes into an abyss, right? (laughs) But this, where there's a structured calendar, of touch points between the program manager and the donors. Um, Second of all, there is a stewardship plan. So when someone joins, what happens? Or, you know, when they make their payment, what happens? What are, you know, when do the pledge reminders go out if it's multi-year pledge? So there's a stewardship plan, there's a communication plan, and then finally there's a cultivation plan. So if they're committing to multi-year commitments, making multi-year commitments, that's what I recommend. I love working on three-year commitments. By about 18 months, you're changing the tone with donors a little bit. So now they've been a part of this for 18 months. They've had a great experience. They're engaged. They like the other people that they're in the group with. They're getting to see the, impi- the people that they're impacting through you know, a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting. And around 18 months, now you can start changing the tone a little bit as a development officer and get to know them more one-on-one. Because by the time year three wraps and they're done with their membership, now what's next? Because now you've proven that you can be a good steward of their whatever their membership fee has been for the last three years. Now they know they can trust you with more. So it's a, it's a process, but it's strategic.
1: How does this fit in to your your donor pyramid, if that's still a thing, or, or your overall, you know, top level, mid level donors? How how would you fit this
0: this affinity program, these members in? These affinity programs are fantastic moves management tools. If you've got annual giving folks who are writing you you know, checks once a year, say, and you're looking for ways to engage them more, this is going to get them to the next level. Instead of doing 100 bucks a year, maybe they're doing 1000 or $2,000 a year now. And then in time, with more exposure to you, more exposure to the organization, more awareness of the needs. We're creating major gift prospects. So then we move them up the donor pyramid even further. So they're that mid-level group that just often gets overlooked. Some people might say, Well, I don't have the time, I don't have the bandwidth, I don't, I can't, I can't do more, you know. But I would go as far to say, like, show me your strategy for your mid-level donors, and I'll show you the future of your major gift prospects. So it's just, it's it's moves management, but it's done well. That's great.
1: And how do you identify a prospect on the other side of it? Is it any individual donor that, that gives is a prospect? Or uh, can you tell when someone is just kind of a one and done? Or, or how, do you, how do you look for the people that you'll move into that?
0: We look for patterns. One of the first things that I would do is go over the last five years, who has given consistently over the last five years, maybe three out of the last five years, I, those are neon sign. Let's start there because they're committed. They're already in. Let's see if we can engage them further. So consecutive giving people who are giving that you're not even asking them to give. They're st- they're sending a $200 check every year. And it didn't even like, maybe it come from just a random appeal, you know, but they're, they're giving without any kind of personal relationship. That's another one. Like they're giving because they want to be a part, they're supporting the mission. That's, though, that's somebody else that we would target. So it's just looking, identifying patterns, where are they showing up to events that the organization is a part of? How, you know, are we already seeing an interest in whatever the niche might be? So for example, I was talking with the Humane Society recently. And as far as affinity programs go, and I said, do you know who your dog lovers are versus your cat lovers versus the the donors that want to be a part of more missions and rescuing pets versus the ones that really care about training so that once pets are adopted, they stay adopted. And it's finding those little niche areas within the organization that you can rally donors around because that's where their passions lie. It's not necessarily the whole organization. It's a it's part that really tugs at their heart. And once you identify that area and you match them to it, that's where their giving is just going to, and their passion and their, their you know love for the organization is just going to grow. Their affinity will grow.
1: Yes. Yes. So do you, do you segment and have multiple affinity programs? When do you decide that, okay, this one is for these types of people and then we need another one, or do you just kind of work it so that, that uh, you find the people that match with the, the one that has the most potential to be successful as an affinity program?
0: So identifying those areas that have the most potential for success and starting with the ones that are hottest. If you've got, I would say, depending on the size of the organization, I mean, if it's a university, you could say, well, every college could have its own affinity program, the College of Business, College of Engineering. You can develop programs around that and focus on alumni. Um, If it's a smaller organization, I would say, let's start with one and let's just, create where are people already sending checks saying use this for that. That's, that's an affinity area. So targeting, targeting that area, and, uh, and bringing the donors who are already showing interest in that niche, like bringing them more into the fold with it. So I would say if you're a smaller group, start with one. And then once you've got proof of concept, expand from there if you can.
1: How can you determine the right structure, membership and engagement strategies for
0: an affinity program that you want to set up? Right. So that's the tricky part. And I think that's what keeps a lot of organizations from kicking off affinity programs is that the bandwidth is limited, but it is an investment in the future. So you design the structure around what you can commit to. So my motto is under promise and over deliver. Ideally, they would have a virtual meeting, Every year, and maybe an in-person meeting. Maybe the donors can go to the place where they're getting to experience what their what their you know impact was as a group. So collectively, they can do so much more than if just one person was giving thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a year. You know, so in the case of legacy housing, they're a local local nonprofit that provides um, housing for teens who are aging out of foster care. And so one of my recommendations was you know, for their affinity program, let's bring the donors out to the home. Let's let them, even if it's just a picnic in the yard, they don't need to go inside. But maybe if they just experienced it, uh, their, their most recent gift is going to a new roof. So maybe they just need to come out and go, you know, go see the new roof in person, or maybe we send them a video of it. But it really is going to center around the bandwidth of the, the program manager, what can be done. But I highly recommend a virtual meeting and an in-person experience every year. And outside of those two things, if we if we promise that and we over deliver beyond that, that's excellent. But um, bandwidth is a big thing. And as far as you know, the financial commitment goes, there is actually a math strategy <laughs> behind how to set the financial structure or the financial commitment. If you take the average donation for your organization, which in many cases is thirty five dollars. That's just a typical, a lot of folks give 25, a lot of folks give 50 right in there. It's 35. So across the board, average donation, say it's $35, multiply that times three. So let's just round up and call it a hundred and then times that by 20. So you're looking at $2,000 annual commitment. If the average gift is $25, you know, that times three is 75 and then times 20, you're looking at 1,500. Can Do you have... If you have a handful of people, 10, 12, 20 different people that you could ask for a $1,500 commitment for the next three years. And I would say if you can get five to seven, then you've really got something. You can absolutely work with that and you can grow it from there. And is that the total for the three years or per year? No, I would say, so what I love to do, and this is this is where it's different with giving circles. A lot of times giving circles is like, we'll take anybody. If you can pay $1,000 a year, we'll take you, pile on in. This, the way that I love to set them up is strategic. We cap it off. It is open to 20 members and beyond 20, mm, there's a wait list. Or we've got another one coming open at whatever date in the future. But it creates a level of, of exclusiveness Um, So maxing out at 20, but if you can get five to seven that first year and then just grow it from there, you're set. Love that. And I love how
1: that waiting list exclusivity makes people want to get in. And do all members graduate um, out of it into larger donors or just
0: some, is that just where they stay? It depends on the donor. Sometimes What I've seen is that sometimes we have found their niche. We have introduced them to something they had no idea they even cared about. And now that their three years are done, they want to focus on that thing. And that's where they're, you know, maybe they're going to do a major gift or maybe they're going to commit even more than they've been spending the past three years um, in, you know, toward that area. And that's the purpose of an affinity group, right? You're bringing them in to expose them to more of your organization so that they can find areas that they identify with. I would say in my personal experience, we could probably expect to see 60 to 70% renew after three years. If they've been treated well, they've enjoyed it, they've enjoyed the people they've interacted with, they've seen where their money has gone, they've maybe interacted with some of the beneficiaries, then I I think confidently you could expect to see more than half recommit after three years. Statistically, they say 1% to 2% of Affinity Program members will do a major gift during the course of their... Membership, I've seen significantly more than that. I would say five to seven percent do more. So of a hundred if we have a hundred members, I would expect five to seven to do, you know, 10, 20, 50,000 and beyond.
1: Okay, that that brings me to a question here that I want to ask before we're we're uh done wrapping up. This this has really been intriguing to learn about um, affinity programs and how they work. And if if people are interested in them and and how, how do you work with people to figure out what their capacity is? When's the best time? Do they have enough? You know, how to set it up? What's your engagement with nonprofits to figure all that
0: out? So I've got a few things. Right now, I've got a free blu- blueprint on my website. If anybody wants to just download it, it's 15 pages. It's like, here's how you get started. Uh, so they can just go get that for free at affinitymaker.com. And then I've been working with a Boy Scout council up in Wisconsin on developing affinity programs for their different camps. They want to be able to help with operations, repairing docks, buying new canoes, things like that, that that a program can help with. And so with that group, I've been doing one-on-one kind of, I don't want to call it hand-holding, but it's a lot more engaging. We want to make sure we're getting it right so that it's most effective as possible. And then in the very, very near future, I wish I could have had it done by today, uh, I want to do an online course. So, you know, six, six weeks to launch. Here's everything you need to know and everything that can possibly be covered in the next six weeks so that you can get this thing up and running. Because they're not, they're not difficult. They're clean. Especially if you know, you set aside right up front, this is how the money is going to be used. Whether you're giving them the option, like here's three choices once you've got your group together. You know, you have an annual meeting. Here's three choices you have on spending your 10, 20, 30, however many thousands it is. You know Where do you want it to go? And being able to expose them to like, oh, well, we all voted on this one, but you've got these other needs here that didn't get funding. Here's a a little more. Here's a check. Here's something toward those things as well. We see that over and over. So it's certainly not a bait and switch. You're not getting them in at this and then like upping them to, to go higher. It is simply exposing them. And if more philanthropy is awakened and if they feel called to do more, then they know what that could go for. But we just need to expose them and you know create awareness opportunities. Love that. All right. Well,
1: I could talk to you forever about this and probably other things. And I did, uh, so many thoughts came up about the distillery. How'd you get into that and your family and everything? I just want to, uh, you have such an interesting, and uh, again, by the smile on your face, you must be enjoying life, and I'm so happy for you. And um, I, I imagine of awakening people's passions and, and and what they're passionate about giving to and helping with, helping connect those, and having that experience in the past uh, yourself, and then helping nonprofits individually find ways to do that. This that must be so fulfilling
0: it is and you know what's been incredible is yes the impact on the organization but when you're creating opportunities for donors to add value like that's life changing there's been so many that i've worked with especially that are nearing retirement or they've just retired and they're kind of looking for that next way to you know feel feel involved in something feel a part of something and so that is a major area uh, or a major i would say age bracket That we see, you know, I've seen 50% of affinity program members are right around that retirement age and they're just looking for the next thing. And so being able to add value to their lives, not only are they, not only are the beneficiaries receiving, you know, benefits from their involvement, but the donors are getting the experience of being a part of something bigger than just themselves. Maybe they can't individually do $20,000 in a year, but collectively they're part of a group that can. So it's it's been life changing. I mean, just being able to sit here for me and watch the impact on donors too. That's what I really care about. Like, affinity makers is more donor centered than it is the organization centered. You know, what's the how do you want your donors to feel about your organization? Do you want them to be loyal and you know feel like they're a part of something? That's that an affinity program is a way that that can be possible. I love that. It it helps them
1: feel that fulfillment of being part of your mission. It's just great. Thank you so much for taking the time today to explain this to me as well as a community and, and how these affinity programs can be used in an organization's fundraising strategy to build up Steward your donors, move them along. I, <clears throat> I really like how that is all connected and how this can be a great tool in that overall strategy as well. And I want to remind our listeners, I'm going to include the link to that blueprint that you talked about, as well as your contact
0: information. Oh, can we plug the distillery too? Oh, yes. Copper Bottom Craft Distillery. Copper Bottom, like Copper Bottom Ship.
1: Yes. And you ship anywhere. Yes. Yeah,
0: Yeah. we do. We ship 47 states, I think.
1: Excellent. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes as well. (laughs) You got it. Thank you again for sharing all of this and where you're at on your journey as well. Um, We will include all of those uh, websites. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know that you've got to get on to other projects and uh, appreciate you spending time today with our community.
0: It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Great. So if anyone learned something from today's podcast, please share it with others who might also benefit. And we look forward to connecting in our future webinars, podcasts, community discussions. And I am sure we're going to hear from Jenny again in the future.